blessed, happy Chinese New Year. Say that to your neighbor. Actually, it's the lunar system of calendar. Many other nations celebrate New Year uh, recently because they base it on the lunar New Year. But for all of us, I want to also greet you. Happy Advanced Valentine Day. Okay ba yan? Honey, Happy Advanced Valentine. I want to give you a short test before I introduce to you the topic. Are you ready for a short quiz? This is easy. You must shout it out loud, okay? The one that will win, will win. <clears throat> All right. I will put the name of the company. You tell me what enters your mind when you see that word. Ready? Let's start. Starbucks. Shout faster and louder. Next. Nike. Okay, okay, very good. Next. Gucci. Okay, next. Mercedes-Benz, car. Next. Netflix and Toyota. Oh, gulo kayo, no? One at a time. Netflix. <laughs> Toyota. Next. Christian. What? What enters your mind? Peter? No, no, no. <laughs> what? You see, that's my point. Christians, what enters your mind? You know, there was a study made by, unbelie- by unbelievers and believers, but they interviewed people who don't belong to any church, who don't belong to any group, who are not Christians. What do they think of Christians? Would you like to know their answer? Let me share with you. Based on this study, those with no religious affiliation, okay, they describe Christians, number one, as what? Louder, hypocritical. That's what they think of us. Next, judgmental. That's what they think of us. You're asking why? Yeah, ask your friend why. But don't ask your neighbor because we are in the same choir. We don't see our own failures. They were self-righteous. My friends, if the unbelievers look at believers as hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous, I think we need to humble ourselves and ask ourselves, how am I? You know, my wife and I came up with this question that we like to ask many of us. This is the question, okay? What would people say that you are known for? I want you to ask your family members. If you are seated beside your family members this morning, if you are seated beside your family members, can you turn to them and say, what do you think I am known for? Ask them. What am I known for? If your family members keep quiet, you are in deep trouble. 
if they cannot say, you know what? You are known for love. You are known for being kind. But if they keep quiet, maybe the answer is you are temperamental. You are selfish. You are always cursing. I don't know the answer. But I have good news for you. You know, years ago, there was this guy by the name of Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. And he became very, very rich. But what shocked him was one morning he got up and he saw his own obituary. Do you want to read this obituary? The merchant of death is dead. But Alfred Nobel did not die. It was his brother who died. But he began thinking, if this is what people think of me, remember he invented dynamite. In his heart, he is thinking, people will stop fighting each other because dynamite is so devastating. But he got shocked. People were dying. Different countries were buying dynamite. So he made up his mind. You know what he said? I like this quotation. Everybody read, every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. You know what he did? He put up the Nobel Prize. He will use his fortune to bless people. You see, my friend, you are not defined by your past. I don't know what your family members think of you, but all of us have a past. The good news today is God does not just see your past. He sees your future, what you can become. So for the next few weeks, we will begin a new series. It's called Love. Everybody wants to talk about love. The problem is, what is love? Can you define that definition to your neighbor? What is love? Ask your neighbor, what is love? Now give that definition. In your mind, what is love? What is love to you? This is the problem, my friend. We all want to talk about love. We all want love. Do you know the greatest epidemic today is loneliness? I was thinking it is mental health. No, no. It's loneliness. In the age of the internet, in, in the age of connection, people are lonely. Why is that so? You see, because we don't understand what love is. People are confused. So our series will be that what is the title? Love Rediscovered. We will look at the Bible and learn what love is all about. So, what's going to happen? This Sunday, I'm going to talk about love as taught by Jesus. Next Sunday, you will have love as taught by James, as taught by Peter, as taught by the Apostle John, as taught by the Apostle Paul. So, we will discuss the perspectives of love based on the Bible. First, from God, from Jesus, and then from his disciples. 
What did they understand love to mean? Will you be interested to attend the entire series? Louder. Do you want to be loved? Do you want to be loved? You know, normal people will say yes. Abnormal people, I don't know. Some of you have been burned by love, so you don't like to be loved anymore. Let's begin. I want us to read John chapter 13 together. A new commandment I give you. Notice, a new commandment I give you. I'm going to explain what do you mean by a new commandment. What is this new commandment? You love one another even as I love you, that you also love one another. Let me now explain. This love one another is not a new commandment because it is found in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus. God tells the people, love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love one another. So that is not new. What is new? What is new is the standard set by Jesus. What is that standard? A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Everybody read, as I have loved you. Another observation from this verse. You also love one another by, everybody read this, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have loved for one another. In other words, love is so important because it is the most powerful way of evangelism. It is the most powerful way of telling people how to come to Jesus. It is by our love for one another. So if you want to be a witness for Jesus, you better learn for the next few weeks what does it mean to love one another as Jesus Love us. I don't want to miss this quotation. This is a wonderful quotation about love. It's about the greatest apologetics about love. Can you want to learn that quotation about love? Love is the final apologetic. It is the defense for which there is no defense. You learn to love people. You learn to love difficult people. Can I ask you a question right now? Are there difficult people in your lives right now? Oh, I did not know you would answer so loudly. All right. If there are, I want you to think of their names. Then ask God to help you, starting today, to love them. Let me repeat. If there are people in your life that has offended you. Today, I want you to do something. You say, Jesus, as you have loved me, help me to love them. So what is unique, what is new, is learn to love the way I love you. Now, how did Jesus love his disciples? I want to give you four observations. What is true love? Number one, love, everybody, once it becomes a commandment, that means love is an unconditional commitment. Say that with me. Unconditional 
commitment. That's why it's a command. By the way, are you familiar with the teaching of Jesus when it comes to the greatest commandment? Let's read together. What is the greatest commandment? Let's read together. Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, everybody read together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Many people stop here. You can't. Because the next verse is connected with this command. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The greatest commandment. But look at the grammar. Look at the next verse. The second is like it. You, everybody read, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. You know what Jesus is saying? The greatest commandment is to love God. When you love God, you will love your neighbor. They are interconnected. You cannot love God and hate your neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. Love God and you love your neighbor. So let's start with the first point. What is love? Love is an unconditional commitment. Say that with me. Unconditional commitment. Now, why is that crucial? Because you and I confuse love with feelings. No, love is an unconditional commitment. Do you know the difference between feeling and commitment? Look at John 13, verse 1. So you will know the context of John 13. In chapter 13, verse 1, here's the context of the Last Supper. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, he would depart out of this world to the Father, the feast of the Passover. This is the last, the last dinner time together. Everybody read this. Jesus knew he's going to die. He knew he's going to go to heaven. That's the context. Knowing his hour has come, everybody read this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them louder. He loved them to the end. You know, it reminds me of marital vows. Many years ago, when I made a promise to my wife, in good times, in bad times, in health or in sickness, richer or poorer, what did I promise? I will not leave you. My wife made the same promise. That was 50 years ago. Praise God. My wife has not left me, nor have I left her. However, I want you to know, love is not a feeling. The problem with feeling, it will come, it will go. But nobody ever taught many of our people today there's no course in the university or in college. How do you love properly? You see, our love is self-centered. Our love is selfish. You know, look at this chart so that you will understand commitment versus feeling. Okay? True love is a commitment. It's unconditional. Feelings is conditional. If you're happy, you love. If you're unhappy, you don't love. True love endures. 
Secular love is temporal. When you do something wrong, I will cancel you. True love, submit to one's will. It's a command. The truth is, there are times when I wake up in the morning, or my wife wakes up in the morning, honey, uh, I'm just giving an example, okay? It did not happen today or this year, but long time ago. You know, sometimes soy sauce will enter the mind. Not toyo. Yung, yung pinapasukan ng toyo. Do you know the meaning of soy sauce in your mind? When you don't think clearly. Sometimes I have soy sauce in my mind. Sometimes my wife has soy sauce in her mind. And the truth is, you don't feel like loving each other. Yes or no? Of course. But because we are committed, my friend, it doesn't matter how I feel. Submit to one's will. The other one, you submit to your emotion. This is God-honoring. This is self-centered. I want you to know how Jesus loves us. How God loves you. That's the standard, as I love you. How did God love us? He loved us with an unconditional commitment. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy. For example, I want you to read that verse. Together. The Lord did not make you his beloved, nor choose you, because you were greater in number than any of the peoples, since you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. You know, 50 years ago, I told my wife, I love you. There's nothing you can do. That will make me not love you. My wife said the same thing. I love you. I have five wonderful children. And I told them, I love you. There's nothing you can do that will make me not love you. I may not like your behavior. But I will still love you. So love is an unconditional commitment. Together, one more time. Love is an unconditional commitment. So never, ever say to your children, if you do this, I will love you. Never, ever do that. You know why? You will produce insecurity. You see, true love is not based on the recipient. It's based on the lover. And I want you to learn, starting today, to love people the way God loves you. Number two. What is number one? Love is an unconditional commitment. What's number two? It is directed towards what? Imperfect people. Why? Why do I say imperfect people? Let's look at that verse again one more time. You love one another as I love you, that you also love one another. Who is this one another? In the context of John 13, who is Jesus referring to when he told the disciples, you love one another? Who is this one another? Ah, John 13 is the last time they will be together eating dinner. It's called the Last Supper. Because the following day, Jesus will be crucified. So it is the last time they're going to be together 
And the disciples were with Jesus. Who were the disciples? You have Peter, who would deny him. You have John and James. The Bible described them as temperamental. They have a horrible temper. If you don't pray to receive Christ, they will pray that fire will come down and devour you. That's their temper. And then you have Judas. Judas denied Jesus. And then you have Thomas. And yet Jesus says, as I have loved you, all of you. Jesus washed their feet. Amen? Now, ask a question. Who are the people around you that are imperfect? Think about it. Do you know people around you who are imperfect? How many of you are living with perfect people? My wife would suggest, will you look at the mirror and ask yourself this question, what is it like living with me? Have you ever asked that question? Look at yourself in the mirror. Stop looking at your family members, others. Look at yourself. What is it like living with me? Ask yourself. You know, years ago, years ago, my wife asked me, Honey, do you really want me to be like you? She asked me that because I kept, I kept correcting her. I kept trying to change her. So she was very honest. Do you really like me to be like you? And you know, it was a funny, funny answer. I thought about it, you know. But without thinking, I said, yes. Then I thought about it. Can you imagine if my wife were to be like me? My goodness. You know, Today, I really praise God that my wife is different. In fact, she is far better than me. Praise God. Okay? You know, to love perfect people, almost like my wife. Honey, almost. You are not perfect. Almost. To love nice people is easy. You agree? To love nice people is easy. But to love imperfect people, People. My friend, as somebody once said, to love the world, I have no problem. My problem is to love my neighbor. Uh-huh. Is that true? The truth is this. You are commanded to love what kind of people? Imperfect people. And who are the imperfect people that you come in contact with? Do you notice something? Some of the hardest people to love are family members. Have you ever wondered Why? Why is it harder to love family members, office mates? Why is it easier to love church members that you see once a week only? Hello, how was your day? Hello, hello. Okay, that's good. Because you only see them how often? Once a week. Now try living with them. (laughs) Try sleeping with them. Try eating with them. Ah, that's why we give this marital seminar again and again. I'm inviting you again. If you have not attended the marriage seminar, please attend. You will notice the different stages of marriage. First stage, romantic. Wow. You look at the moon and you see the face of your loved one. It's called romantic stage. 
Next stage, reality. In Tagalog, nagising ka. In English, you finally woke up. Wow, what have I gotten myself into? Reality. You smell the bad breath. You see the bad habit. You see him scratching his toe. You see all kinds of mannerism. After reality stage, what's the next stage? You begin to react. You react. After that stage, what's the next stage? You begin to retaliate. You want to change. But that person does not want to change. And then, this is most dangerous. You retreat. You withdraw. You cancel each other. My friend, that's when the danger comes in. When you cancel each other, emotionally you have built a wall. You may still be present physically, but emotionally you have canceled each other. And that's where affairs begin. You develop habits, you have affairs of friends, and if you're not careful, you have affairs with the opposite sex. And that, my friend, is the bad news. But the good news, you can always attend a retreat to rebuild your marriage. Do you believe love can be rebuilt? That's why we're discussing this. What's our topic today? Rediscover love. Be known for love. You and I should be known for love. But we need to know what love is. So what is true love? Number one, unconditional commitment towards imperfect people. So will you please turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, I'm not perfect. Tell your neighbor, I'm not perfect. Are you convinced your neighbor is not perfect? Now, say it the other way around. And you are not perfect. But I still love you. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, you are not perfect, but I love, love you. Yeah. Do it now. Tell your neighbor. I'm watching you, okay? Some of you are still angry with each other. I don't. I think you fought this morning. No, no, no. Today is forgiveness time. Amen? Can I teach you something? Learn to see people not as they are, but see them based on what they can become in Christ. Let me repeat. Do not see people as they are today. Learn to see what they can become in Christ. You see, we are all works in progress. I'm not perfect. My children are not perfect. Our leaders are not perfect. But I love them as they are. Because the one that will transform them is Jesus. Amen? Why do I love people as they are? Because God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves you. Amen? As you are. No condition. So, number one, love is unconditional commitment towards imperfect people. Number three, to seek their highest good. You know, between this and this, I want you to see a picture. Unconditional commitment towards imperfect people. But before you can seek their highest good, you must understand this picture. It's called the picture of the porcupine. What is a porcupine? A porcupine has a problem. 
during winter, they like to be with each other. Except there's a problem. When you become too close to each other, what happens? You prick each other. You hurt each other. Huh. So, how do you love like the porcupine? That's what I call, you must seek the highest good. You must be intentional. You know, the porcupine, they have to stay together, but they have to be very deliberate. You have to be conscious. So, point number three, you must seek the highest good. Love is an unconditional, say that with me, love is an unconditional commitment towards imperfect people to seek their highest good. Now, what do you mean by highest good? You see, it is not what you like. It is not what I like. The highest good of anybody is God's good. In other words, what is God's plan for my wife's life, for my life? The highest good is for my wife to become all that God wants her to be. You see, in the past, my greatest challenge up to now is selfishness. I'm selfish. I want to change my wife to make me happy. I want to change her to make me convenient. It's convenient for me. That's what the Bible says in Philippians. Chapter 2, I think it says, chapter 2, everybody read, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. My problem, your problem is our love is self-centered. It's selfish. No, no. You must love each other to seek their highest good. Therefore, it means love is not always saying yes. Love is not always sentimentalism. What is sentimentalism? You just give in because in your mind this will make them happy. That is not true love. That's sentimentalism. My wife and I were reviewing our journey with different people. We have a member in CCF. When he was young, he asked his parents to finance his transgender operation. He told his parents, I don't think I'm a man. They were not yet believers. So what the parents did, they financed his operation. So he wanted to become a she. And the operation was successful. In fact, this he even became a beauty queen. But something happened. As you go through life, you'll realize if you don't follow God's design, there's this emptiness. Why would you believe it? She, he, came to CCF as a she and he met Jesus. Now when he came to CCF, he was surprised. He was loved. He was accepted. Except he also knew we are not sentimental. You know why? Because people ask us, where do we put him during the breakout group? You know, when you break out group, men, men, women, women. Our answer is simple. <laughs> You're laughing, huh? You know what we do. You are a man, you go to the men's group. 
So we stop calling him by the name he used to like. He's a man. We treat him like a man. He was so touched that he used his own money again to have another operation. But he told us, there are certain things in life you cannot undo. But if you look at him today, he's like a man. What's my point? Love is not sentimentalism. Love is seeking the highest good of the person. It may mean saying no. It may mean discipline. But true love is seeking the highest good. You don't enable a person just by giving in all the time. Today we don't know what love is. Okay, okay, love, okay. Whatever makes you happy, that's love. That is not love. That is horrible. True love involves discipline. You know why? God is more concerned for your eternal well-being than your temporal goodness. I always tell our leaders, are you willing to risk friendship for telling the truth? And that is the challenge of almost all leaders here. You know, we tell our loved ones, I don't like your behavior, but I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to say certain things that may hurt you. Will you give me the permission to say what I feel you need to hear? You may not like it, but I love you. And I will tell you, if you allow me, to tell you what I really think and what I really believe. You see, love is tolerance. I agree. It is accepting each other with respect. But it does not mean that you impose your values on me or I impose my values on me. But you have to allow each other to speak the truth. Let me repeat. I may not like your behavior. I will accept you and respect you. But it does not mean I will support your values. It does not mean I will embrace your values. That's not love. That, my friend, is disaster. So what is true love? Number one, love is a commitment. Say that with me. Love is an unconditional commitment. Next. Towards imperfect people. To seek their highest good. That means, parents, you may not have to give your children cell phone. Why do you have to give them cell phone at a young age? Just because everybody has it and you are forced to give it to them? You know, some parents keep blaming, my children are spending so much time in the internet, in the video. Excuse me, who bought the video game? Who bought the computer? Who bought all of this device? Answer? Parents. So please, understand what true love is. Singles, I'm talking to you now. Raise your hands. Singles, higher, higher, mga singles. You know, singles, if you want to have the greatest number of singles, you come at the noon service. Because singles wake up late, so they come at around noontime. Or um, Saturday night service. But one thing I'm going to tell you. You tell your singles. Singles, are you ready to hear? If you love your boyfriend, you love your girlfriend. If you love each other, 
Will you have premarital sex? You see? True love. You have to think. Is this good for him? Is this good for her? If you honor somebody, you will not want to have premarital sex. Because premarital sex, many times, is selfishness. You satisfy your lust at the expense of the other. So think about this. Number four. To seek their highest good, which can be, everybody read, costly. And may require sacrifice. This is something that you and I don't understand. True love can be costly. Let me give you an example. Jesus gave his disciples this amazing commandment. In the book of Luke, it says, love your enemies. Everybody, let's read this together. It's not easy. But I say to you, everybody read this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. May I ask a question? Are these suggestions or are these commandments? Louder. How come we neglect these commandments? You know, I tell people, your husband, your wife is not even your enemy. You just don't like their behavior. They're not even your enemy. But Jesus tells us, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. My friend, this is not easy. I remember when I was forced to address these issues in my life. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. In other words, there will be times when people will offend you, when you get hurt. You have two options. One is to respond naturally. Cancel them, curse them, get away from them. Or the other one is to allow the love of Jesus to flow in your life and to love them. Many of you heard of my story years ago. When I got kicked out of my own, our own company, I got kicked out of our own company. That can only happen in martial law time. But my friend, something happened. The person who kicked me out got sick. And I was asked, to visit him and pray for him. This was after martial law. In my mind, why would I pray for this person? What if he gets well? <laughs> no, I'm being honest with you. But it was the wife who was asking my friend to contact me to see him. What if I share the gospel and he repents and he goes to heaven? Paano yun? Kapit bahay pa kami. So, you know, I struggled, I struggled. But the Lord spoke to me. The Lord said, that was, that was not yet CCF. Wala pa. The Lord said, if you cannot even obey these commandments. Someday, it was very clear in my heart, someday, 
how can you teach Bible? See, at that time, I was teaching Bible already. I was teaching a home Bible study. You know, God spoke to me. I said, Lord, okay, I will obey you. But I didn't feel like obeying. So I was hoping on that day, I remember distinctly, I won't mention the address. You might trace it who, so forget the who. It was a long drive. I was hoping my car will have a problem. I was hoping maybe there will be a car accident. So I won't get to the house. Well, in fact, no traffic. <laughs> you know, when I knocked at the door, I was nervous. I didn't like doing it. But I praised God my wife was with me. Honey, okay, she was with me. You know what happened? When I opened the door, it was the wife. So the wife brought me to the bedroom because the husband is sick. When we entered the bedroom, the guy stood up and stretched out his hand. You know, when I stretched out my hand, something happened. My love for him grew. Something happened. The compassion flowed. So I learned a principle in my life. Motion before emotion. Many times we wait for emotion before we obey. Uh Uh-uh. Obey first. And then the feeling can come. You see, love transcends feelings. Feeling will come, feeling will go. But you obey God and feeling will eventually follow. Let me repeat. I've seen countless couples on the verge of divorce. In fact, just recently, a couple was going to divorce already. They attended the marriage seminar. Believe it or not, after the marriage seminar, they decided to make go of it. Their marriage is amazing today. There are so many countless people, many of you are here today, where your marriage, it was rebuilt because of the love of Christ. Amen? So, motion before Emotion. Okay. So, is it, is it costly at times? Yes, it can be costly. So, how should you be motivated? If it is hard to love this way, what kind of motivation will you have? You see, the motivation can only come from the love of God. So, if you don't mind, I want you to look at Luke chapter 6. No, no, let's look at it. Let's look at Luke chapter 7. Let's look at this story. This story is very powerful. It tells you how to love supernaturally. Jesus, Luke recorded this incident. One of the Pharisees, now one of the Pharisees was requesting to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now you have to understand Who is this Pharisee? What's his name? Simon. Simon requested Jesus to dine with him. So he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. We don't even know the name of the woman. You don't know the name. But the Bible says she's known as a sinner. Many scholars would like to say perhaps... She was a prostitute. 
whatever it is. The Bible tells us, when she learned he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. This is very, very expensive. What did she do? Let's read the next verse. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet, anointing them with perfume. I'm going to explain this later on. But I want you to notice something. For you to understand what was going on, you have to understand the culture of the days of Jesus. When they eat together, this is how they eat. Okay? It is, they were reclining. The left shoulder, the left hand is, okay, they recline. Do you understand now the picture? In most house, there's a courtyard in the center. And that's where they will eat together. And what did this woman do? Well, this woman, if you look at the picture, <clears throat> she began to wipe his feet. You see the veil? Now, this is very expensive. So you can now have a picture of what was happening in the time of Jesus. Now, you will ask me, how in the world did that girl enter the place? It is common. It is acceptable. When there is a rabbi in the house, they open the house so anybody can just listen to the teachings of the rabbi. So this is open. So anybody can come. So the woman came. Do you see the picture now? All right. Before I expand on that verse, I want you to read the next one. Let's continue reading. The Bible tells us in Luke 7:38, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is and who is touching him, that she is a sinner. What was the attitude of the Pharisee? Not loving at all. The Pharisee was self-righteous. The Pharisee did not care about this woman. The Pharisee had wrong assumption about Jesus. In his mind, Jesus will not entertain sinner. Let's continue reading. Jesus answered him, Simon. Now, the drama changes. Now very personal. Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Very personal. And he replied, say, teacher. Now, you must know Jesus knows what Simon was thinking. So Jesus gave this amazing parable. He said, Simon, a money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarii is simply one day's salary. So 500 denarii is 500 days' salary. If you were to compute it Philippine style, Let's say the minimum wage now is 600 pesos at least. 600 times 500 is how much? 30,000. So this debtor owed the money lender 30,000 pesos versus somebody who owed the other 50 denarii. 50 denarii is how much? 50 times 600 is how much? 30,000. 
thousand. So you have three hundred thousand versus thirty thousand in debt. Are we clear? And then Jesus tells us, when they were unable to repay, you better underline that they were not able to repay. Both debtors could not repay. He graciously forgave. In the Greek language, the word is not just forgive. The emphatic word is graciously. Karitmotai. That's where you have the word grace. Karis. Karisomai. He graciously forgave. You know, forgiveness is always an act of grace. You don't deserve it. You will never deserve it. But the Bible tells us the debtor, the creditor, graciously forgave them both. Now, which of them would love him more? So what's the answer? Well, Simon said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Now, what is the point of Jesus? For you to understand the point of Jesus, I want you to look at what Jesus said in Luke 7, 14 to, let's continue reading, 44. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, now, this is powerful now. Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For you to understand the power of this event, Jesus is simply saying, Simon, when you invited me to your house, you did not give me the courtesy that is given to everybody in this culture of ours. You see, in the Middle East, in the time of Jesus, especially when a rabbi, when an important guest comes in, you do three things. Number one, you put your arm around the shoulder and you kiss the guy. Number two, you wash the feet because they don't have shoes. They wear sandals and the roads were dusty. So it is only common courtesy when a guest comes into your house, you will provide water and a towel to clean the feet. Simon, you did not do that. And then the third thing you did not do, as an act of respect, they put a pinch of perfume on the forehead to the guest. So these three simple acts of showing respect, Simon did not do to a rabbi. In contrast, Jesus said, you gave me no other, she has wet my feet with her tears. The grammar here is this woman was not just crying a little. Tears. The description here is like rain. She was sobbing. She was crying. She was grieving over her sinfulness. The Bible tells us, wipe them with her hair. Now, women 
don't bring down her, their hair. It is usually, you know, placed up or covered. But this woman did something scandalous. She brought down her hair. You know why? She did not care what people will say. It's costly. She loved. She needed to wipe the feet of Jesus. She used her hair. I want you to imagine the heart of this woman. Since the time I came in, now, Jesus was telling Simon, you did not kiss me. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. What an amazing expression of love. Kissing my feet. Wiping. And then the Bible says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. That perfume was probably her life saving. Those are precious stuff. Love is costly. She gave it. What's the difference between Simon and the woman? Both were sinners. Both could not pay. What's the difference? Some of you here may be like Simon. You know about Jesus. You know about the Bible. But it has not penetrated your heart. Let me tell you why. Look at this chart. Simon was religious. This woman is described as a sinner. Simon was self-righteous. Just like many people today. You think, I'm not as bad as the others. She was aware of her sinfulness. Simon was blind to his own sins. Judgmental spirit, unloving, pride, religious pride. Simon could not see his own sinfulness. She was repentant. She was grieving over her sin. Simon was judgmental. She was humble and grateful. Wow. Simon's approach was intellectual. Rabbi, what can I learn about this guy? For her, it's about her heart. Simon has no devotion for Jesus, no love. She loved Jesus. My friend, is it possible that some of you, some of us, will be like Simon? You don't really love Jesus. You have intellectual knowledge. You have religion. But no relationship. You see, that relationship will only come when you realize you are a sinner. Today, I've asked somebody to share his testimony with us. How he was touched by the love of God and how he was transformed by his love and how you can see he began to love his enemies. Let's welcome Onyx Go. Onyx, please come. Let's welcome him. My brother, this guy came from Cagayan de Oro yesterday. He flew all the way just to share with you. One more welcome, okay? Brother. Hello. Before I met the Lord, I was boastful, proud, arrogant, self-centered, and had a quick temper. 
I found pleasure in worldly vices such as drinking and womanizing. And my priorities revolved solely around satisfying my own desires. It was all about me, me, me. Whatever Onyx wanted, Onyx got. At the age of 27, I became successful, owning a house in a subdivision, having my own car, reaching my first million in the bank, and establishing a small but stable business for myself and my family. As our agri-industrial business continued to prosper, my vices, worldly attitude, and lifestyle expanded as well. I felt empowered, disregarding the impact of my ungodly lifestyle on my relationship with my wife and my children. The success and prominence of our business attracted the attention of communist guerrillas in our area in 2010, when I arrogantly resisted their demands for us to pay taxes to them, DBAM, our poultry dressing plant, causing property damage and financial losses. Despite seeking help from my government connections, none of them extended support during that challenging time. Seven months later, on March 27, 2011, they attacked one of our establishment again by setting it on fire. In my anger, I armed myself to fight them back. However, on my way to the plant, my rifle accidentally discharged, forcing us to stop. Thankfully, no one got hurt. But I but as I inspected my gun, I noticed it being on safe mode, so it misfiring was an impossibility. The next day, my driver found an empty shell, yet there was no hole in the vehicle's floor. This surprised me. And I realized it was only possible because of God who performs miracles. We continued to receive demands and threats from the militants. Eventually, we yielded to them to avoid further damage. However, their demands increased, triggering my pride once again. I decided to form a private army for protection and revenge, recruiting retired military personnel and civilians capable of using weapons. But fear overwhelmed me, and I realized I couldn't take someone's life. My suffering deepened as uncertainties about the future of our business and continuous threats from the militants group haunted me. I resorted to my vices, drinking and womanizing, I reached out a point where I contemplated suicide, feeling that my business uncertain future meant nothing for my children. One day, I attended a Christian church fellowship where the pastor preached from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, verse 10 to 14. The line, the word was God and 
became life. He is Jesus and Jesus became a light to the world. Struck me deeply. The pastor explained how without Jesus, we stumble in darkness, unable to find our way forward. This led me to ask Jesus to take full control of my life. When one of our poultry farms were attacked once again, I choose not to retaliate. I experience God's peace instead of anger and fear. In a surprising turn, I showed genuine compassion to those who had harmed us. I reached out to them to send food and water despite their threats. They were shocked by my kindness and they could not believe that even they are after they burned our farm once again, here I am concerned about their well-being. They even thought they probably talked the wrong person because they could not recognize the onyx they dealt within the past versus the onyx they are talking with now. At that point, God led me to share my new relationship with Jesus. I told them that I already have Jesus in my life and for the first time, I am experiencing real and unexplainable joy and happiness. I even shared a verse with them in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. Despite this, they continued, they still continued to communicate with me to threaten me that they will strike our other establishments until we, until we give them the money. But because of my faith, I was able to refuse them. Instead, I would share them my daily devotion, send them my Bible verses, and encourage them to surrender their life to Jesus. Praise be to God. After a month of sharing the gospel and witnessing how the Lord Jesus Christ brought real joy and peace into my life, they decided to stop bothering me and cease demanding revolutionary taxes. They even expressed a desire to reconcile and forget the past. Praise God, praise God. The Lord also continued to work in my life through Him. I overcame vices and developed patience in facing challenges. My relationships improved and I became faithful in giving to the Lord. God also convicted me through a message from Pastor Peter Tanchi challenging me to be truthful in declaring our business figures to the government. Through prayer and scripture, I found guidance and strength to honor God in every aspect of my life. In January 2022, God granted me the opportunity to share the gospel with former militant group members. There I met the wife of one of the militant group members who burned our poultry farm years back. We were so happy and blessed to have heard 
that she has become a believer of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. My wife and I hugged her and assured her of our sincere forgiveness and love for them, including her husband who is currently in prison facing various charges. Today, I am privileged to serve God by discipling others in our business and as a part of our core leadership of CCF CDO Uptown and leading a couples D-group as we continue to help the D-group community in Pagadian City. I am filled with gratitude of God's transforming work in my life. I am Rio Onyx Go, once lost in hopelessness, but now overflowing with peace and real joy. To God be all the glory. Is God amazing, yes or no? Only God can change people like Onyx, wanting a private army, and now loving them. I praise God for you. Now, Onyx Go is accompanied by his wife. Please come, Delinda. And his D-group leader is Totit and Monette. Please come, Totit and Monette. They also flew from CDO. And then... The leader of Totit and Moni is Fernie and Janet. Please come also. Fernie is the leader of our Cagayan de Oro main satellite. And they are also helping now in the sister satellite in Uptown CDO. Is God amazing, yes or no? So I'd like all of you to raise your right hand. Let's pray for this couple. Uh, everybody, why, why don't you stay closer together? Yeah, stay together, stay together, okay. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for Onyx and for the wife, Delinda, for what you have done in his life, through his life, and how you have blessed them by protecting them from retaliation, but helping them to love others as you would like us to love. So I now pray for this couple. You protect them from the evil one. Protect them from government harassment also, from BIR, from all of these... uh, possible problems someday. I just pray for protection. And I thank you for the D-group leaders, Totit and Monette, for their willingness to spend time, and also for Fernie and for Janet, for their faithfulness in really being a servant of the CDO brethren. I pray for all these couples. Protect them, use them, expand their borders, and above all, may your name be glorified in and through their lives. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. As we close, I want you to look at the statement given by Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus said the following. Everybody read this together. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. She loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, everybody read, your sins have been forgiven. You may think she was forgiven because she loved much. Uh Uh-uh. Read the next verse. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, this is now a personal talk with the woman. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. She said two things to the woman. The first is, your sins are forgiven. And now, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. My friend, the Pharisee, self-righteous, did not receive forgiveness. You know, this man said the greatest barrier to salvation, if you don't mind, I'd like you to read this quotation. You know what prevents us from getting saved? Look at what William Barclay said. The one thing which shuts a man off from God is self-sufficiency. It is true to say that the greatest of sins is to be conscious of no sin. You know, some of us are fully aware of the sins of others, but you are not conscious of how sinful you are. And because you are not conscious of how sinful you are, you don't realize how desperate you need Jesus. I am conscious of my sinfulness. I desperately need forgiveness. And by the grace of God, God has forgiven me graciously. I am a recipient of God's forgiveness. And because I am forgiven, I choose to learn to love others as God has loved me. What about you? Have you been forgiven? You see, if you cannot love others... I want you to ask yourself this question today. Have you truly realized that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Don't be like Simon, who is always focusing on the sins of others. Secondly, have you understood how much you have been forgiven? Simon and the woman were exactly on the same boat. It doesn't matter whether the woman owes one billion, two billion, three trillion. It, that's not the point. The point is both of them cannot pay. The truth is both of them are going to be in jail. Both of them will end up with nothing because they all are in debt. And the debt doesn't go away. When somebody cancels your debt, that debt is transferred to somebody else. But it is paid for by somebody. Death does not just go away. When God forgives you, remember you are forgiven, but somebody paid for your sin. You cannot go to a bank and tell the bank, cancel my debt. You know why? If the bank cancels your debt, the debt is still there. The bank has to pay for the debt. Don't think that your sin suddenly disappears. It only is paid for by who? Jesus. And once you understand Jesus loves you as Israel is, and he died on the cross for your sins, unconditionally for you, and you are forgiven, I believe you will begin to learn to be grateful. You begin to experience the joy of forgiveness. My friend, this woman experienced the most amazing peace. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Notice, not good works. To this day, many people don't understand. You are saved by faith in the promises of God. 
Jesus promised her, your sins are forgiven, and she believed by faith. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. The Bible tells us, how are we saved? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. What does it say? For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. It's all by grace, through faith. If God has spoken to you, and you realize you were probably a Simon, judging others, you don't have the joy, you don't have the love for Jesus, is it just possible? You have not recognized how, need, how in need you are of forgiveness. Is it just possible? You have never seen yourself like this woman. You see yourself as Simon. Not so bad. I can save myself. I pray that you humble yourself today and receive God's forgiveness. Receive his love so you can love others. Let's bow our heads. If God has spoken to you, wherever you are, and you're willing to admit, yes, I'm like Simon. Yes, I'm a sinner. I'm like that woman. I don't like to be Simon. Will you humbly pray this prayer with me wherever you are? Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I need you. I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior. I accept your promise of forgiveness. I accept your gift of forgiveness. As you have changed Onyx Go, will you also change my heart? As you have changed the heart of the woman so that she could love you profusely. Help me to learn to love you the way you like me to love you. And help me to love others, especially family members who are difficult the way you would love me. Help me to love them. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good day, CCF family. Welcome to Sunday Fast Track, where you ask real-life questions and we give you biblical truths. I'm Francella Barte from Sports Ministry, and we're here today with our speaker, Pastor Peter Tanchi, to answer some of your questions. Jesus taught us the importance of forgiveness and letting go of any feelings of hatred towards others. But sometimes, our thoughts and heart betray us. For those who are watching and who can relate to this, how can they pray from a pure heart? You see, obeying God is not dependent on feeling. Feeling may come. Feeling may not come. But to obey God, is based on his command. If you depend on feeling, you'll always think something's wrong with you. Because the truth is, you may not always feel like doing certain things, but you do it. And that is the kind of obedience that pleases God. Jesus, remember he said, if possible, let this cup pass from me. There are many times, many things I don't feel like doing, but I do it. So I make my emotion, not the master. You must make God the master. And your will should be higher than emotion. Not let the will be subservient to emotion. If not, you'll be a roller coaster. And many people don't mature. They are dependent on feeling. Spiritually, they are infant because they depend on feeling. 
Thank you, Pastor Peter. And for that reminder to not the feeling be our motivation. So thank you, Pastor Peter. But before we go, we would like to invite all the singles to join us every Friday starting February 16, 7.30 p.m. here at the CCF Center or satellites near you for Big Fridays. We are starting a new series, Seasons of Love, Discovering God's Purpose for Every Season. You may also follow our Facebook page or YouTube channel for updates. Hope to see you there. So that's it for our CCF Sunday Fast Track.